Blog Talk Radio. Glamour, fearless, diabetes late night. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, 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 bass. Yeah, it's pretty clear. I ain't no size two, but I can shake it, shake it like I'm supposed to do. Cause I got that boom, boom that all the boys chasing. All the right junk in all the right places. I see the magazine working out Photoshop. We know that shit ain't real. Come on now, make it stop. If you got beauty, beauty, just raise them up. Cause every interview is perfect from the bottom to the top. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass. Hey, hello, divas and dudes. I'm all about that bass. Are you ready? Because I'm ready to welcome you to Diabetes Late Night 2015. Thank you all for tuning in, and especially to our friends in Shetfield in the United Kingdom. We're giving you a shout-out tonight. I'm your host, the happy healthcare host, Mr. Divabetic, and I'd like to empower you to manage your diabetes with confidence, knowledge, and inspiration, plus as much fun as January's Diva Inspiration, Megan Trainer just uh, sang about, who, and she happens to be nominated for two Grammys this year for Song and Record of the Year for that song, which really the lyrics encapsulate body acceptance and loving yourself. You know, at Divabetic, we're always saying glam more, fear less. You want to show up show your stuff, and go on with the show. It's all about feeling good about yourself this year and good about your health, and we're here to help. And how we're going to do that tonight is we're kicking off our five-part series focusing on the emotional side of living with diabetes. We'll be broadcasting these special diabetes late-night programs every other month throughout the year, and they're featuring our special guest, my good friend, Dr. Beverly S. Adler. I call her Dr. Bev. And I'm so excited because our hope in addressing this topic is to provide you with greater insight and inspiration. If you want to share your thoughts on the subject of the emotional side of living with diabetes, you can always email me at mrdivabetic at gmail.com, or why not call into the show? Hey, our studio lines are open at 347-215-8551. Now, around here at Divabetic, we always say denial's not my style. But tonight we're going to go deeper and discuss denial and some of the related emotional, um, some of the related emotions that may cause you or your loved one to choose to ignore your diabetes self-care. But before we do that, I want to take a minute and acknowledge a big milestone at Divabetic. Uh, it's our 10-year anniversary of the website divabetic.org. You know, when I first started the website, the purpose was to raise money for diabetes research by selling T-shirts that were emblazed with the word Divabetic on one side and Sugar's a Bitch, Not Me on the other side. Today, if you go to our website, divabetic.org, you could barely find the T-shirt shop button on there because I'm proud to say there's just so many opportunities for you to get engaged in our diabetes empowerment and education. We've got podcasts, we've got videos, we've got blogs, and we've got a ton of live events happening around the country. And I hope you take a minute to join us because it has been a magical ride for me to be the founder of Divabetic. I can't imagine my life without it. I, um, it brings me incredible joy every day. And I want to acknowledge and thank all the talented educators I've worked with, all the motivators, the um, fitness experts, the beauty and style educators, and all the people who've, who've been willing to share their stories with us on this podcast, at our live events, on the blog, and really help change the conversation. I am truly grateful for these opportunities, and I hope you continue to join me as I challenge myself and my team to create different and engaging content 
around diabetes and diabetes self-care. I'm committed to tackling the tough issues, the often overlooked issues, those embarrassing issues, and the issues that concern you most as often as you need until you feel good about yourself and good about your health. After all, we are diabetic. And of course, that means being Mr. Diabetic, I've got to do it with fashion style and music, games, and prizes like we're going to do on tonight's podcast. Joining me tonight is a lot of glamour and glitz. I've got the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, poet Lorraine Brooks, Mama Rosemary, and our special guest diva, Nancy from New York. But before we get things started, let's take a minute and donate to Divabetic. Hey, it's our 10th year. You could go right to divabetic.org and make your tax-deductible contribution through PayPal. It's greatly appreciated. Stay tuned because coming up is some motherly advice and spoken word inspiration on Diabetes Late Night. But first, let's hear a second song from Megan Trainer, our diva inspiration for January. That's Climbing Up the Chart. Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic, and I'd like to welcome my first guest. She's been a part of Divabetic from the very beginning. Please welcome Mama Rosemary. <laughs> Hello, Mama Rosemary. Hello, Mr. Divabetic, and congratulations on 10 years. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, and congratulations to you. What would be one of your favorite memories in our uh, 10 years of outreach? Oh, well, let me think about that. But I really don't have to think too far, though, because I think the um, T-shirts really um, made an inspiration for me. When we started out, we only sold a couple, and we were so thrilled that people were wearing them. But by the end of the 10 years, I bet we sold thousands. And I'm always so pleased when I see uh, someone who's living with diabetes walking around with their diabetic t-shirt it makes me feel so good realize that they are living with diabetes but they're also very special and that's what this shirt reminds them to always remember that they are very special so i don't that think i could have my... said it better myself i think you're right mm-hmm. i think that t-shirt has always been an amazing symbol of you know bypassing the shame and blame and admitting and being outspoken about your diabetes, living large with it, and really asking for the help you need to manage it like a diva or a dude, uh, and and finding inspiration all around you to keep you health, healthy and happy. So I know every month you try to make it easier for people to make a lifestyle change by providing them with some motherly advice and some simple things they might be able to do today, not tomorrow, to kind of enjoy their life and enrich their life and have a more authentic life. Um, So I'm curious to know what you want to kick off 2015 with. Well, first of all, I'd like to wish everybody a Happy New Year. And um, my tip for this month is about finding the silver lining in life. Everything that brought you to this moment, all your past choices, your struggles, as well as your successes, molded you to become your best self. It may be difficult to see that, but it's the truth. If you are struggling with your health, seek support in every way possible. We all feel feel fear, shame, and regret. And we could all move forward past those fears, shames, and regrets to live better lives, lives of purpose. So in 2015, look for that silver lining. Ciao for now. Wow, Mama Rosemary, I really appreciate that tonight because, you know, when I started Divabetic, everybody, it was because Luther, I was working for Luther Vandross, and Luther had a stroke related to type 2 diabetes, and it was um, when I brought him to the emergency room and they told me his stroke could have been prevented, I just couldn't believe it. And that is what um, inspired me to want to get involved and encourage more people affected by diabetes like I am to help people manage their diabetes in a healthier way. And I can't believe that that dramatic and tragic event in our lives has allowed me to do 
so much more and help others learn how to prevent a complication. So looking for the silver lining in some of those more difficult times, it's not easy. I will not say it was an easy journey for me, but I was grateful to my parents and I'm grateful to everyone on this program and all the educators I've worked with over the years for letting me see something that beautiful, find something to make something out of that moment and, and, and really begin to change lives. And I know my next guest, who is the princess of the pen, the loveliest woman of the spoken word, also takes words and makes them much more inspiring than I do. Please welcome my second guest. It's the lovely Lorraine Brooks. Hello, Lorraine. Thank you, Max. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Well, you know, I was going to say what happened to my applause, but uh, thank goodness for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know Congratulations that on your 10th year, year also. Really I didn't realize. The, congratulations. Excuse me? I, congratulations on your 10th year. Thank you so much, and thanks for I being didn't a part of You've been a part of the show for a couple of years now. And, you know, you're the one who really inspired us to want to delve into these emotions this year and really kind of get past, you know, just this idea of, like, accept your diabetes and really kind of work our way through some of the speed bumps and and issues that may come up in that journey of acceptance. And obviously over the years I've learned that it's not easy for everyone and it's not something that just uh, – ends and you know you you could put a bow around it it might come resurface again and again throughout your life living with diabetes so thank you for pushing us to kind of take on this subject tonight oh well thank you thank you max for for saying that i i i don't take any credit for it at all but i <clears throat> excuse me i'm just some someone who lives with diabetes every day and um you know it has its challenges and and there are good days and and bad days and um i uh you know, I, I'm just a person who believes in being honest and real and upfront and, uh, and talking about the way things really are. So I, I'm glad that I could in some way inspire you. That that makes me feel very good, and uh, um, you've inspired me too, as as you know. So thank you. Thank you for saying that. Well, Lorraine, I want to ask you a question. When you were first diagnosed, because you, were, you weren't diagnosed as a child, you were a young adult or an adult when you were diagnosed. When, you were, when they first told you that you had diabetes, did you, were your thoughts at all on thinking of potentially not dealing with it? You know, just not, was it like over the top and unbearable? And did you have any kind of uh, ideas in your head at that moment, if you could recall that uh, you, did, you just didn't want it, couldn't believe it was happening, and just didn't even know where to go with it. Well, no, because um, I had it in my family. My grandmother had been diabetic for years, and I remember as a child, my father giving her um, shots. She had had a stroke, and she couldn't give herself her own shots. So I remember my father boiling needles, and um, you know the whole routine involved in giving her her medication. So it wasn't a shock to me. I, you know, I mean, I knew it was in my family. Um, it was 32 years ago now, <clears throat> excuse me, actually 33 years ago, that I found out that I had diabetes. And I may have had it before that, but it was diagnosed about 33 years ago. So it's more than half my life. And, um, you know, I can't honestly say that, that um, I was shocked. It was not a happy thing to hear, of course, and it meant that I had to change a lot of things about my life. But I was very fortunate. I worked in, in the pharmacy department of a hospital, and they were so incredibly helpful to me. I know everybody can't say that, but I was so blessed that I had so many people around me who were supportive and, and showed me what to do and, and, and walked me through it. That um, it, it was I wouldn't say it was easy, but it it could have been a lot more difficult if I didn't have those people uh, around me and if I didn't know about it from having it in the family. So uh, um, I, I think I was a little more fortunate than others. Yeah, sometimes that first initial person could be the biggest change agent of them all, you know, and and uh, there's certainly a lot of power in what you just said. I, I hope, you know, someone listening who might be in the health uh, care profession is hearing that and just realizes how anywhere from the nurse or the person drawing the blood to the, your general practitioner or your endocrinologist, just those simple acts of kindness and taking the time 
like you just said with your pharmacist, someone to kind of sit down and kind of put it into terms that you could understand, I think would be a big, make a big difference in how people initially come to terms with living with their diabetes. And, you know, tonight yeah, we are It was very normal talking. for me, you know, and everybody went very far in helping to normalize it. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't devastating for me. Uh, and, and it still isn't, you know, it's still not devastating, and, but it's still a challenge even now. Well, yeah, and you know, we're tonight we're talking about denial, and you and I had a conversation uh, a few days ago about it, and so you've created a poem around this whole concept of denial. Well, it's interesting, Max. I, I'm, I'm going to out you for a second because we did have a conversation about it, and we disagreed, and um, I, I got to thinking after we disagreed that um, about what denial was, and I. I, I I've never been in denial about my diabetes, so it kind of, you know, I had to wrap my head around a whole different way of thinking about it. But when I thought about it, I thought, you know what, I'm not in denial. I think it's everybody else that's in denial to some degree. So the name of my poem is, It's Not My Denial, It's Yours. I have diabetes, and that I can't deny. I cannot spend time wondering how or which or why. Every day is a challenge, but I meet it with a smile. So please don't ever, ever think that I am in denial. I think it's more the other way, the people that I know. I think denial is their thing because they do not know. They do not know the pain we feel with needles and finger sticks. They do not know how hard it is, and so they try to fix they tell us that if only we would do like Cousin Fred, he stopped eating cabbage and now he's off his meds. They tell us that we're doing wrong by eating birthday cake. But they don't see us counting all the carbs, for heaven's sake. People think they know our deal because they know some others. But each of us is different. We are not like our brothers. It's simply not that easy than to say, just don't eat that. It's simply not that easy to lose weight and not be fat. I wish that everybody would leave well enough alone and let us diabetic folks get answers on our own. I'm not saying not to help or show your deep concern. I'm saying that unless you're here, You've got a lot to learn. So I'm not in denial, no. I've struggled and I've fought. And everything I do and want to do requires thought. So please just let me vent and don't feel like I need advice. I know that I must limit things like bread and fruit and rice. Don't shut me down when I complain. I sometimes scream and curse. And don't belittle what I say by saying it could be worse. So I'm not in denial, no. I just choose not to speak. But you should not in any way consider that I'm weak. I fight, I cry, I think, I pray. I do it with a smile. But please do not believe at all that I am in denial. Lorraine, I think we could end the podcast right there. <laughs> uh, no, you can't. It's a brilliant poem, and if we argued, listeners, it was because we were just challenging each other in a great way to be collaborative and creative. And, and Absolutely. Um, I think uh, I, I really love what you said in this poem, and I'm sure it echoes a lot of thoughts. And if you want to share some of your comments about what you thought about Lorraine's poem, why don't you come to our Facebook page, it's Divabetic, and enter your comments, or check us out at mrdivabetic at gmail.com. I'm sure you would love to hear what the listeners are thinking of your poems every month. Right, Lorraine? I would love to hear that, Max, and thank you for mentioning that. I would love to get feedback from anybody, good or bad. I, I, I like to know what people are thinking.
Well, can you imagine how our January Diva Inspiration thought, Megan Trainer? I mean, here she was, a songwriter working for Rascal Flats, and she came up with a song, and they said, you should record it. You should become a recording star. So imagine how she's going to feel if she finds out from her peers that she's going to win the song or record of the year for a Grammy a mere year after she came out. Guess what, guys? It's time to hear another one of Megan Trainer's songs from her upcoming album, courtesy of Sony Music. Baby, don't call me friend If I hear that word again You might never get a chance to see me naked in your bed And I know girls ain't hard to find If you think you wanna try Then consider this an invitation to kiss my goodbye Give me that title, title Come and give me that title, title Baby, give me that title, title I have to tell you, listeners, I've got Megan Trainer on my iPod. Every morning I'm working out to her on the treadmill. It's delicious, and you're listening to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diabetic. Hey, and today we're turning up the volume on the emotional side of living with diabetes because, you know, being diagnosed with diabetes can lead to feelings of anger, sadness, confusion, and distress. Your emotions are an important indicator that something might be wrong and changes need to be made in your self-care routine. So that's why we're going to meet two of the loveliest diabetes educators from around the country who I fondly refer to as the Charlie's Angels of Outreach. Please welcome Dr. Beverly Adler. Hello, Dr. Bev. Hello, Max. I want to wish you a happy new year. Thank you and very I'd much. And I'd also like to congratulate you on your 10-year anniversary. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And please welcome Patricia Addy Gentle from Atlanta, Georgia. Hi, Hello, Max. Happy okay, New Year and congratulations for 10 years. And can you believe you? we've been together that long, Patricia? I know. I know. We go way back, and, and it's been wonderful. It's been a wonderful journey. I can't imagine um, have, doing it without you. And I, I just have to say there's so many people in the Divabetic family, and it's a thrill for me that I'm still connected to the very people I worked with from the very beginning. I'm just so proud that we've all stayed together as a team and we continue to you know, move through different uh, venues around the country as well as try our luck at different things, including podcasts and videos. And you specifically, Patricia, have just been so um, – incredibly uh, supportive of me all these years. It's, it's just a pleasure to always be, to still be working with you, and I thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I just enjoy it, and every month gets better. All right. Now, you you could probably, if you're listening, listeners, you're thinking, Max, where is the third educator? Well, guess what? This is such a big topic. I just wanted to have two educators because I want to give both Dr. Bev and Patricia more time to really talk about the subject of denial, and so uh, I'm, we're filling that blank chair with you tonight and letting you listen into the conversation, and if you have comments, you could call us at 347-215-8551. All right, so um, Dr. Bev, you and I talked offline about this. There's so many issues around this term denial. It's used a lot. It's thrown a lot around a lot in the diabetes community. We agreed to kind of look at um, denial and, and frame it, you're going to kind of tell us what it is and what causes it, and then we agreed that we would look at two case studies to try to talk a little bit about what the concept of denial could be and how it might play out for people. So our two case studies tonight are one is a man, his name is Thomas, he's 54, living with type 2 diabetes, and no matter how much nagging he says his wife gives him he still and his doctors, he still doesn't want to give up some of his unhealthy lifestyle choices and make a change. Our second case study tonight around the topic of denial is Amber. She's 15 years old. She's been living with type 1 diabetes for three years now. And uh, she unfortunately has been spending weeks in and out of the hospital throughout the school year dealing with DKA, which you're going to tell me about in a minute. And her parents are worried sick. So we're going to talk about both of those case studies, listener, but first, Dr. Bev, you're going to just tell us a little bit about what is denial and what could cause it. Okay, thank you. Uh, denial <laughs> is not a, a river in Egypt. Uh, it is uh, the feeling of really not wanting to accept uh, 
what you've been diagnosed with or told. It doesn't only di- denial is not just uh, specific to diabetes, but we're going to talk about only that tonight. And um, denial is really uh, a way of trying to ignore the facts uh, when somebody's been told that they have diabetes. And they basically, what I call the ostrich policy, they stick their head in the sand and they hope it goes away. And uh, clearly denial is not the answer to uh, managing diabetes because ostrich policy uh, does not work. And um, there's a lot of reasons that people might be in denial. Okay, One is when you hear this diagnosis that... um, you now have diabetes, whether it's really type 1 or type 2, it, it doesn't matter. But acknowledging that this disease um, can, you know, it's going to be burdensome. I'll put it that way. It's it's a burden that you're going to have to manage for the rest of your life. People can feel entirely overwhelmed, and they can't imagine having to deal with this on a daily basis, and um, they are scared about uh, what that could mean, you know, uh, future-wise and complications. And uh, so a lot of people, it's easier just to deny it rather than actually face it. And for people like that who just can't imagine themselves living with diabetes, because it's too scary, my answer is always the same. Take it one day at a time, okay? Because I'm going to tell you that for my own diabetes, I'm I'm going on uh, in, in March, it'll be 40 years. 40 years sounds incredibly long to me, okay? And, but I did the 40 years one day at a time. That's a lot of days, but it's one day at a time, and that's manageable. Um, I think that sometimes you were describing, uh, not you, uh, Lorraine was describing um, being familiar with diabetes from a family member, and uh, I think sometimes people are, they're they're familiar with diabetes, but in a bad way. Uh, There's a lot of emotional baggage when you have a family history And especially when you see uh, somebody who has not taken such healthy uh, choices, and so now your your role model, we'll call them, this this, uh, uh, family member or friend, is uh, is uh, you know um, a very uh, it, it makes you frightened. Okay, that you're going to become like that. And uh, when I was diagnosed, um, there I had an uncle, Uncle Henry, and uh, Uncle Henry was a poster boy for bad behavior with his diabetes. And everybody said to me when I was diagnosed, don't be like Uncle Henry. And uh, I, I wasn't frightened by it, but uh, I, you know, I, uh, I did not do what Uncle Henry did. And uh, and my outcome has been a lot better than than his was. Okay, well, and, hold that thought uh, for a minute. I want to ask Patricia a question, and then we're going to go to our special diva, and then get back to our case studies. So, no Patricia, um, I, you're a nurse. You've been and you're a certified diabetes educator. You've worked in multiple settings providing diabetes education. I think sometimes, uh, honestly, there's a disservice done. Uh, specifically around patients with type 2, where not really, they're not really educated when they're first diagnosed, and it seems to me that there's a little misconception there being conveyed from the um, health provider to the patient about why it's so important to manage your, your diabetes. I feel like they sometimes do a disservice and they don't really, uh, you know, they don't really give people either the skill set or the knowledge to kind of go about managing it. And people like Dr. Je- uh, Bev just alluded to, people are familiar with it, but they don't really know anything about it. What are your feelings on that? Uh, that's quite true. A lot of healthcare providers will make um, patients or clients feel that there is shame on their part, that there's something that that was done wrong and that they 
uh, have brought themselves to this type of an outcome, but not arm them with um, the ammunition or the education and tools to make better decisions. And that's why why it's so important to unite with educators to get that information so that you know how to count carbs, you know how to do insulin-to-carb ratio, and you know uh, how medicines should be taken. Sometimes prescriptions are given, and those prescriptions are not understood. It's not understood that you have to eat a meal or you have to do certain things while you're taking this medication or the timing of the meal. And so patients come away still not actually knowing how to take care of themselves, and they feel that they are the blame. They have done something wrong. The medication is not working when they really don't have the tools and the knowledge of how it should be utilized for the best benefit. But educators can... um, be important in changing what they have looked at as a tragedy and help them to have a triumphant type of an outcome. So that's why um, in our minds we do see a lot of healthcare providers really placing that person in, in an area of defeat right from the beginning because they're not given the knowledge that they need. And sometimes they are threatened with adding more medicines. You know, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, if you don't bring your weight down, if you don't do whatever, this is what will happen or this will be your outcome or you'll be on dialysis or you'll be faced with blindness rather than saying, uh, let me show you how to actually count the carbs. Let me show you how to actually uh, plan your meals and and how to exercise and and get your activity in within your routine day, not so much that you have to set time apart and say this is my exercise time. That's all well and good, but for some people with busier lives, we can teach how you incorporate a lot of healthy activity into what you're already doing, like taking stairs and walking further when you're in parking lots rather than parking cars uh, right at the entryway. So there are a lot of, of creative ways to educate and empower people to do much better jobs with caring for diabetes. Okay, so when we come back, uh, you and Dr. Bev are going to talk about our case studies. That's Thomas, our 54-year-old gentleman who's living with type 2, and Amber, our 15-year-old uh, living with type 1. But first, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited. We've, we've got a special diva coming on the show. She's been living with diabetes for 30 years. She's from New York City. But guess what? It's time for one more Megan Trainer song before we meet our guest diva of the night. So I want you to close your I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and I'm ready to welcome my special guest, Nancy. She's been living with type 1 diabetes for 30 years, and she's recently discovered a new product that's helping her manage her diabetes like a diva. Hi, Nancy. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, Nancy, you were seven years old when you were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and you know tonight we're talking about denial. How I, I'm curious to know, what was it like to be diagnosed at such a young age, and, and how, how was it as a teenager to be living with type 1 diabetes? Well, at a young age, it was fine. My mother had done a lot to take care of me, um, so I didn't really feel any pressure to uh, manage my diabetes on my own. But certainly once I got to my teen years and I realized, um, you know, foods that were previously forbidden or that I didn't have access to were more readily accessible, especially once I had my car, I I found that um, I actually went out and ate a lot of desserts that I hadn't previously done. So it became a lot more difficult to manage my diabetes once I got to my older teen years. Did you ever feel uncomfortable or different, you know, as a teenager? 
Oh, certainly. Um, I actually, um, so at that young age when I was diagnosed, my um, my parents had made a decision where I didn't notify any of my uh, friends. So other than my teacher at school, uh, none of my friends knew that I had diabetes. So as I grew up amongst these same friends of mine, as I was older, they still didn't know I had diabetes. And finally, I believe it was in my junior year of high school, I on my own decided to let my friends know. I was very scared at first when I decided to let my friends know. Um, I just didn't know what their reaction would be, especially given that I had grown up with them so long for them not to have known that I was diabetic and for me to finally tell them. So that was very nerve-wracking for me. And then how about when it came to dating? Because, you know, um, a lot of girls who are listening, and I don't know if you heard, we have a case study tonight of a girl named Amber who's 15. She's been living with type 1 diabetes for three years. She's been in and out of the hospital with diabetic ketoacidosis. Uh, and we're going to learn about that in a little bit. But I know for her it's about she feels different and she kind of ignores her diabetes and she also doesn't think any guys will ever love her. Well, for me, um, in dating, I I did, because at that point, um, once I was in my later high school years, I did let my friends know, and I realized that um, nobody didn't accept me for being diabetic. So in dating, I never really had a problem, even on, on initial dates, to let um, the man know that I was diabetic. However, what I will say was I was uh, reluctant to go on the insulin pump because of the you know, dating aspect of, you know, how do you get intimate with a man and, you know, suddenly this is there. Um, but so I actually held off going on the pump until I was in a serious relationship with my now husband um, and kind of talked with, with him about it before I went on the insulin pump. And so what is it, because everyone's now wondering, is it, can you still have sex with an insulin pump? Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> in fact, um, I use the Minimed um, pump, and it it every package comes with the little uh, nub. It kind of like makes the uh, end smooth. So I, I just put the nub on before we get intimate. All right, and now I know the last question on Amber's mind is thinking she's got diabetes. She'll never be able to have a baby. Oh, I have a son. Um, I had a rough pregnancy, um, rough because for me when I, um, before I was pregnant, it was no problem for my blood sugar, say, to spike to like 200 and then at the two-hour point post-injection, um, for or at this point it was a pump, for it to drop down to 140. But in my mind while I was pregnant, I never wanted that blood sugar to raise above 140. So I maintained such tight control my A1C level was the best it was ever um, in my whole lifetime, 30 years of being diabetic. Um, and unfortunately, though, what that resulted in was a lot of lows. And I did end up in the ER twice with low blood sugar um, during my pregnancy. My son ended up being born totally fine, did not even have to spend an hour in the NICU because um, I guess, uh, you know, usually they end up spending time, the infants in the uh, neonatal intensive care unit because of the fact that um, the mother's blood sugars were high and then when, um, you know, they're born, um, the the effects of that, but um, because I guess my blood sugars were in such tight control, um, he never even had to go into the NICU. Totally healthy. Um, he's uh, four years old now. And who was that, who's on your healthcare team? Like through that whole thing, who who's part of your diabetic entourage? Well, so I went. Um, I live in Long Island, and um, it's uh, North Shore uh, University Hospital in Manhasset. They have a, um, a high risk care uh, unit that uh, specifically deals with diabetics. So it was a very experienced team. Um, I regularly met with both the um, nurse practitioner um, and the OBGYNs. Um, they had a team of, I think, maybe like five or six OBGYNs, which you get to know every single one of them because at the time you deliver, you don't know which one of them might be the one who delivers you. So at least by getting to know them all beforehand, you get a familiarity and comfort- you become comfortable with them. I love it. So um, I want to talk a little bit about this new product you were telling me about that's really kind of changed your life and really helped improve your care. What What is it? Tell us a little bit about what you've discovered. 
So I'm taking a drug called Invokana. It's actually marketed for type 2 diabetics, and mm-hmm. it's meant to be. Um, it's not, I guess, FDA approved for type 1 diabetics. However, um, I was talking with my endocrinologist, and she, when I was asking her, you know, what's the new uh, research and news out there, and she told me about this, I was open-minded to trying it, even though she let me know that it wasn't uh, specifically meant for type 1 diabetics, though she did tell me it does help the blood sugar control in type 1 diabetics as well. So I've been taking this for about six months now. Um, I take um, 100 milligrams a day, and um, it has drastically improved my uh, HDL. Uh, A1C levels. It used to, prior to this, it was 7.6. Then after I was on Invokana for three months, it dropped to 6.6. And um, it's every day my numbers are relatively stable. Um, it does. I don't have those up and down roller coasters that I had on a regular basis prior to this. Um, and I, I just I love it. I mean, other than when I was pregnant and my A1C was 6.0, this is like the best control that um, I have been in a long, long time, in 30 years. All right, I just want to tell my listeners, we're not endorsing this product. I just was curious to have you share your testimonial. We could ask uh, later Dr. Bev and Patricia what they think about it as well. But for you, it's working. And, of course, if you have any questions about that before, if you're listening and you want to change anything in your care, you should consult with your doctor first and foremost, like Nancy did, and find out if this is even something that's an option for you. I want to... um, we're going to play a game in a second, Nancy, but I know that denial is this theme tonight, and I know there are a lot of young listeners listening who are hearing your story for the first time and realizing that someone who was their same age went on to find their soulmate and, and have a beautiful child and create a loving family. I'm just, you know, there's this one woman, Amber, is um, really goes in cycles of ignoring her diabetes. I'm just curious what kind of words of inspiration you could give to her. Well, in terms of ignoring the diabetes, it's not going to go away. So I wouldn't, I would, as much as possible, try to take best care you can about it. Um, I, I, I didn't find, for myself at least, that um, finding a soulmate was a problem. So I don't think you need to worry about that. Um, certainly, if it's the right man, he will accept your diabetes because that is a part of you. So um, I, I hope you do find the right man for yourself, um, Amber. All right. Well, thank you. All right. So now, look, I don't know if you've ever count, you've ever come to Pittsburgh, but I do a fabulous outreach program there every year. And uh, because I love games, there's always a game included. I love to play the Diabetes Time Machine. You're going to have to try to put these three milestones in the correct chronological order, starting with what you think happened first. I'm going to read them aloud, and if you want help, you could call on either one of our educators tonight. That's Patricia Addy Gentle or Dr. Beverly S. Adler for their help in trying to solve the puzzle. Are you ready? Sure, yeah. Okay, uh, here you go. The first one is the year that the first episode of Lassie debuted on CBS. The second one is the year that the ADA and the U.S. Public Health Service devised a meal planner that divides foods into exchanges. And the third is the year that the microwave oven was invented. Put them in order. <laughs> I I have no clue, so I would like to call on some help from... <laughs> it's tough. Really Who do you know. want to talk to? Do you want to talk to Dr. Do you want to, uh, Patricia or Dr. Bev? Uh, I'll take Patricia. <laughs> Okay, Patricia, what do you think? Okay, <laughs> well, uh, the first um, in, in chronological order would have been 1946 when the microwave oven was invented. And oh, then, wow, I would, if anything, I would have guessed that the microwave was last of those three, but okay, that's interesting. Yeah, it was from the radar technology that was developed during World War I, I mean, two. Oh. And then in 1950 was the year that the exchange list uh, was used for uh, planning meals by the American Dietetic Association. And in 1954, the first season of the television series of Lassie premiered. Ah. And we threw Lassie in there because last month we had Debbie Kay on, uh, who's this expert in medical detection with uh, animals. And so I wanted to um, tell everyone to remember to check that out if you're interested in getting a diabetes alert dog. Do you have a diabetes alert dog, Nancy? 
No, I don't. Well, guess what? Because you're playing, we're playing along with our Diabetes Timeline Trivia tonight. No, you're not going to get a dog, but you did help us raise awareness in a fun new way. You're going to get a new Naturals gift basket filled with diabetic-safe, low-glycemic, tooth-friendly sweeteners, a Cabot cheese gift basket filled with assorted and delicious low-fat cheeses, Dr. Greenfield diabetes lotions and products, which are specifically designed for people with diabetes with sensitive and delicate skin, and Spry Publishing is giving you a prize giveaway from the premier publisher of health books and media delivering valuable content on a wide range of medical subjects. You may get one of these books, including the Complete Diabetes Organizer by the AADE Educator of the Year and our good friend Susan Weiner. So what do you think about playing along with us tonight on Diabetes Late Night? Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, thank you for being a part of the show. I know you had a tight... uh, a time thing there because your your son might be waking up and he might need his mom. So we'll let you uh, stick around until you can't be a part of the show, and then uh, we're so grateful to have you on. I want to talk to Dr. Bev for a minute while we have Nancy and Patricia. Dr. Bev, what is this whole DKA thing that we're talking about with Amber? We've mentioned it about four times now. <laughs> okay, uh, diabetic ketoacidosis, and it's extremely dangerous. Uh, I'm going to say that I don't know if that's Amber's uh, goal, but there are certainly uh, young girls and uh, young women who actually uh, put themselves in harm's way by limiting the amount of insulin that they take, which keeps their blood sugars high. And um, when, uh, you know, before... uh, um, a person is diagnosed and uh, type one and put on insulin. What happens is the um, the because there's no insulin available in the body to break down food into energy. The body needs energy and it goes to Plan B. And in that case, the body breaks down fat and turns that into energy. And as the body is breaking down fat, one loses weight. And that's a typical uh, symptom uh, when before you're diagnosed, when you have the incredible thirst and you're running to the bathroom, and weight loss is, is um, one of the, you know, uh, classic symptoms. And um, there are young girls who are limiting the amount of insulin that they take in order to try to lose weight. And there's actually a name for that because it's not um, bulimia, where, uh, which is an eating disorder. It, it's been termed diabulimia, which is uh, where um, y- you still eat, but you don't take insulin to cover it. And then what happens is your blood sugars go up and up and up and the body breaks down fat and you can end up um, with the the byproduct of breaking down the fat is called ketones. And if you have too many ketones that build up in your blood, it becomes um, acidotic, which is uh, acidy, and it's, it's called diabetic ketoacidosis. And it will send you to the hospital, and if you don't get um, insulin treatment, it can be, it it can send you into a coma and worse. All right, so it's dangerous for Amber, but it's got to be painful for the parents. And Nancy, you mentioned that your parents were very proactive in your care. So how how did you and your parents team up about your diabetes? Was there ever kind of uh, a little bit of butting heads? Or you mentioned later on when you got your driver's license, you kind of took matters into your own hands on certain levels. Yeah, I wouldn't say there was butting heads. It was just more at that young age of seven when I was diagnosed. My mother just did everything for me, so I didn't really have any sense of taking care of it, my diabetes on my own until I was, I would say, probably maybe eighth grade or so. Okay, so then, Dr. Bev, I mean, what does the, you know, here, here Amber's mom and dad are watching this. They're taking her in and out of the hospital. We are talking about denial. We're talking about all, but let's talk about all sides of the table. I mean, what, how, how do, how, how should someone whose loved one is, we don't have to use the term denial, we could say ignoring their diabetes. How should someone handle that? That's got to be a, a difficult situation. 
It's extremely difficult, and uh, it's extremely common. And um, the, the the problem is um, allowing the the young person with diabetes to make smart and wise choices, and they don't always do that. And so parents are going to be very um, uh, helicopter parents. You know, they hover over, and uh, they are uh, overly concerned and overly involved. And what happens is that kids, especially, you know, teenagers, they now – um, go through that stage where they want their own independence, and so it sets up a a major conflict and a major issue of who is controlling the diabetes. And uh, you know, as an adult, we can say it's my diabetes, it's my it's my responsibility. But when you are 15, um, you're going to have to share some of that responsibility with your parents even though it's your diabetes, because uh, sometimes your parents uh, actually do know better. And uh, it, it's, it's a very fine line to uh, trust the parents and for the parent to trust the child or young adult. All right. And, Patricia, I want to talk to you for a minute. You um, helped lead our Tunnel of Love information station at the Diabetes Makeover Your Diabetes events that we provided nationwide, specifically talking about intimacy issues, love issues around diabetes. Uh, obviously, when we're talking about Thomas, our, our 54-year-old man who's living with type 2 diabetes, who, you know, he says his wife nags him too much, for the spouse who is involved with someone who's ignoring their diabetes, that has to be difficult. I know you've heard conversations from couples around the country around this topic. What, what can they do? They can learn as much as possible so that they are able to uh, better understand. I guess you would never fully understand unless you're the person with the diagnosis, but to better understand some of the emotional upheavals, some of the uh, ways that mood swings and, and emotions are just on edge sometimes when uh, blood sugars are not being well managed. And so as a spouse or a significant other, um, Get all the understanding that's possible so that you can share and help to support the person who may be going through these kinds of changes. And, Nancy, I mean, how – I don't want to put you on the spot, but you are married. You have a four-year-old. How do you and your husband – how do you co-manage your diabetes as well as co-parent? How does that all work together? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't really think my husband um, manages my diabetes in any way. Um, certainly when I was pregnant, during the time when I was pregnant and had low blood sugar reactions, he's the one who, you know, gave me the juice and all of that. Um, he knows, he actually can read when I'm low, sometimes even before I am. <laughs> I guess it's just the, uh, the way I'm acting um, that's very visible to him. But in terms of the day-to-day -day, uh, management of diabetes, I would just say it's really just me um, handling that. Um, and then in terms of co-parenting, um, I'm a stay-at-home mother, so during the daytime, you know, I'm with my son uh, the majority of the day other than a few hours when he's in preschool. And then at nighttime um, and weekends, certainly, you know, my husband and I both, uh, you know, spend time with our son together. Nice. All right, Dr. Bev. Let's face it, when we were talking about this topic, it was really hard for me because I feel like shame and blame is so related to a type 2 diagnosis. And certainly, uh, I mentioned to you Paula Dean. A lot of people blame Paula Dean for all that butter, the way she was cooking, for why she, for her diabetes. You know, admitting you have diabetes is a difficult situation for a lot of people because they don't, people don't open their arms and hug them. A lot of times they're pointing the finger and telling them what they did wrong or blaming them for what happened to them. And because so many people don't differentiate between a type 1 and type 2 diagnosis, they hear diabetes, I, I sometimes think everyone has to deal with this kind of shame and blame. Someone out there listening right now might be secretive about their diabetes. That doesn't mean they're not treating it. But I think most of us would agree that living out with it, asking for help, being comfortable enough to share that so that your husband, like Nancy just admitted, could help monitor you for highs and lows or 
someone, a friend or a family member or a coworker could help you out in a bind, I think it's so important. How do people get over this kind of idea of shame or blame related to their diagnosis? Well, uh, as far as Paula Dean is concerned, because we don't really know her private life. We know publicly that she um, she didn't really um, – uh, she wasn't as honest about telling us, you know, the, the the public about her diabetes. But I I'm guessing that she was already fearful that there might be uh, financial repercussions. And uh, as it turned out, yes, yeah, she actually lost sponsors. So uh, I think she was she, she she. I'm not sure how she could have done it differently. But I would like to see her or anybody else who's uh you know uh held uh you know a um a public uh, uh position of uh you know um of uh kn- known by the public I'll put it that way okay whether it's a star hollywood star or a chef or whatever i would like them to be help to be spokespersons for diabetes and understanding the difference between type 1 and type 2 and understanding that type 1 is nobody's fault it's a uh, you know it's a um, autoimmune issue about insulin deficiency that there's 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 no insulin being produced in the beta cells and understanding that type 2 is an issue of insulin resistance again not anybody's fault but um there are things that you can do to reduce the insulin resistance and uh if we could just take that blame off of uh people diagnosed with diabetes then you could take away that feeling of shame and um instead of feeling embarrassment you can now feel empowerment and uh so that's um that's what i would like to see happen uh when people are overwhelmed by uh um their diagnosis again i'll say just take it one day at a time if they didn't do so well previously, let's say Tom was not uh, following um, good choices. That was yesterday. Today is a new day. He could follow some better choices. I think that Amber also would do so well to be in a support group and know that she's not alone. Or listening <laughs> to programs like this, uh, being part of the Diabetes Online community, all these things let people know they're not alone. Absolutely. I mean, in the 10 years I've been doing DivaBetic, there's been so many more websites and podcasts and videos and so much out, so much valuable content out there for people to explore on their own time in the privacy of their own home in the, in the simplest form on their mobile device like this show. I hope people are taking a moment to really, um, if they're struggling, to find these resources out there. And if you need them, please come to divabeck.org and contact me. I'd love to help navigate you through that. Uh, Dr. Bev, you're going to be back for four more podcasts throughout the year because this year, ladies and gentlemen, we're taking on the emotions uh, and, and what the emotional side of living with diabetes. I'm so proud of tonight's show, and I want to thank all my guests for being a part of it, and thank you for listening. Take a minute to subscribe to our e-newsletter at divabetic.org and visit our Divabetic Facebook pages and videos on my Mr. Divabetic YouTube channel. Remember, every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Now, before I say let's get happy and stay healthy together, I'm going to do something I've never done. I'm actually going to do a double play of this song, All About the Bass, by Megan Trainer, and I'll tell you why. Because I have proudly put together in all our Divabetic outreach programs models of all sizes, thanks to Katherine Schuler to kind of glamorize good health in all its shapes and sizes and what it means to be. And when we say glamour, fearless, we mean dress up, show up, show off, and go on with the show. I want you to be happy today, right now, and feel good about yourself in order to prove your care. This song is talking about body acceptance, and Megan Trainer has heard 
has received letters from all over the country telling people that they feel so much better about themselves for what she for what she's saying and that they they're now loving themselves again and they're dancing to the song and they're enjoying the video and so I want to end the song, the show with this song one more time and salute all of you for being a part of our diva Medic community. Okay, let's get happy and stay healthy together.